Content warning. This episode addresses the topic of sex trafficking and may be difficult for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In Texas Banking. I'm LaVonda, and today on my podcast, I have Rocky Best and Ken Nadegwa representing Break the Cycle. Welcome to the show, guys. Well, hi, Rocky. I'm LaVonda Renfro. I've heard a lot about you from Ken, so I'm excited to get a chance to talk to you. Yeah, well, it's an honor to be here, and thanks for having me. This is really exciting. That's great. Well, I, as you may or may not know, I was at last year or the year before, Ken, we were talking to Ken, it's like, Hey, Ken, you've lost a lot of weight. What are you doing? He says, I'm working out all the time. I'm riding my bike uh, all the time. He's eating healthy carrots and all this kind of stuff. And we're like, what are you doing? And he kind of told us about it. So it was really interesting to hear about it. So what I wanted to do is just talk with you first, and then I'll ask Ken about it. Because as you know, our podcast is about people with a purpose. These are people who we want to talk to who have you know, maybe other jobs or things that they're doing. They have a purpose behind what they do. So what I want to find out is a little bit about you, Rocky, and of course, talk with Ken as someone who we work with every day. Tell us a little bit about Break the Cycle and what is its purpose? Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting. You use the phrase people with a purpose and Break the Cycle 200. We help people make their miles matter. So let me tell you, Break the Cycle 200 uses one day, 200 mile bike rides and other endurance activities to raise awareness and funds to help fight human trafficking, both here in the United States and all around the world. In short, that's who we are. But obviously, there's a lot more that goes along with that. Well, I want to hear a little bit about that. (laughs) So um, our history is that we started about 11 years ago now. And this will be our 12th year of, of events. So, you know, year one, obviously, it's kind of year zero. So that's how we get 12 uh, event cycles, so to speak, out of 11 years. And it all started really with just two guys sitting on the back porch talking about life over a fire uh, at night and saying, man, we got we to gotta do something. And to do something really was a fitness goal. And okay. we, Buddy and I knew that we just couldn't do it on our own. We had just started having kids. I have four kids now, by the way, uh, over the span of time. Um, and really what I'm really getting at is just a, a conversation about two people coming together and wanting to do something better for themselves really evolved into a really big challenge to ride 200 miles in one day. And our friends were like, no way, you can't do that. And for us, we knew we needed to get in over our heads in order to actually get on the bike, in order to actually do exercise to live up to this tall task. Otherwise, if it's something that I could normally do, it wasn't uh-huh. going to change my life. And I wasn't going to get out of bed at five o'clock or earlier to ride the bike. Because again, when you have a full-time job where, you know, we're involved in our community and our church, and then you start adding kids to the picture, you got to get it done before everybody else is awake or it doesn't get done. Yeah. Yeah. We, we knew we needed each other. And so uh, it was that combination of, you know, I'll use the word accountability or just knowing someone's waiting for you at mm-hmm. 5.30 in the morning at the meeting spot. It made all the difference in the world. So that's really been kind of the formula that's blossomed into this amazing uh, nonprofit that 
uh, has helped uh, rescue people out of human trafficking, uh, both in the United States, around the world. We've built buildings in Nepal. Uh, we helped uh, fund a film in Indonesia when we first got started. Um, but, you know, it, our story really is that of kind of taking the next right step. I mean, I love the accountability part you were just talking about. It's like, look, you know, we've all been there where it's like, look, mm -hmm. if I have to go somewhere, someone's waiting for me, I'll go, right? But if I, I'm left my own device, I might make an excuse. So you had an endurance goal, from what I understand. But then you said you said something that I, that I wanted to just expound on. Why human trafficking? What, oh, yeah. what yeah. was that calling for that? Yeah, sorry. I guess I've told the story so much that I, I kind of <laughs> skipped over that really important part. So uh, I didn't want to go too far, uh, get too long-winded. But so it went from a challenge to people asking us why. We didn't have a really good why, and it hurt too much to do it again without a purpose behind it. Well, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Ken's laughing because he's like, yeah, I know what you're saying. Uh, right. And I've done, I've done over 20 of these at our different locations. And each time it hurts. Like it's not an easy task, no matter how good a shape I'm in. 200 I'm miles in one day is hard. It's just plain hard. But we do it for people who are suffering all the time. So get back to the how we went from a challenge to becoming a robust nonprofit that uses cycling. Um, so, again, people ask us why. Well, uh, we didn't have a good answer. But we found out at that same time about human trafficking. And it really it started with the film. Uh, you may oh, remember the movie Taken. Yeah. So after watching the movie Taken... I was shaken, right? <laughs> I was shaken all the way down to my core to think that trafficking is a reality and it has various forms. And then the more I pulled at that thread, I started reading, and this is, you know, back in 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I started reading about the UN and uh, how there was estimated 16 million people and then 20 million people the following year were estimated to be uh, caught in human trafficking, and at the time, and it carries through today, uh, we're, we have the highest form of this modern slavery in the world than what we've ever had. And so, so and then, and then I found out not only is this happening somewhere way over there, but it's happening right here in my own backyard. Uh -huh. and, uh, and so, human trafficking can look like what, what we're all familiar with, with sex trafficking and especially minors that have been prostituted. Now, I only use those terms for lack of better terms. There's no such thing as minor prostitution, uh, right. right? To give you, but to help people understand what's happening, uh, we'll, we'll use those terms. Um, it still looks like forced labor. It looks like men and women who are looking to better themselves. It's the bait and switch. They're offered the ability to work, to provide for their family. And then what they find themselves in is a situation where they have no identity. Their documents are taken from them. They're forced into basically labor camps. Uh, and it's happening, in, uh, again, right here in the U.S. and around the world. And so uh, it, it's all ugly. It's all ugly. Uh, there's, right. even, there's even other forms internationally of child soldiering. That's another form of this kind of forcible labor. Uh, and then finally, there's even organ harvesting, which is just you know, deplorable. So, uh, so, so we learned about all these things and then we said, okay, well, let, let's figure out a way to dedicate this new platform that me and my four friends on that first ride had. And it right. turned into 
eight people and 16 and 32 and, you know, 50 to 70 ish people each year riding 200 miles in one day. And then uh, to talk a little bit more how we've expanded, then we took the model to Minneapolis and Dallas was our first year last year and Nashville. We've been there a few years and neighboring cities like Omaha um, and then across the sea, across the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, sorry. Let's <laughs> just make sure we're going the right direction. Across the Atlantic <laughs> in uh, Manchester, England, and then uh, two events in Norway, uh, just to name a few. And so we're finding many ways to kind of go back to that original phrase of helping people make their miles matter. Okay. Right. And so what we do is each individual cyclist becomes an advocate amongst their friends about what's happening in trafficking and how we're making a difference uh, in in that battle against this, this gross issue and how they're riding a bike is part of that uh, making a difference just by raising awareness. You know, mm-hmm. we can start that battle solely through awareness. That's why this podcast is a big deal. So, uh, like when people become aware, what happens? Well, then action uh, happens, and then action drives change. Right. So, I used to under under um, maybe value the effectiveness of uh, driving awareness. Right. Uh, but now I realize that's a pivotal role uh, needed and it's not for, for just nothing. And look at my life and the lives of people around us. You know, we became aware. And now over the last 10 years, we've raised, you know, nearly like $1.3 million um, in funds. Uh, we've done, we've, we've impacted thousands of lives and we've now joined with an international nonprofit called Hope for Justice. Uh, and we're helping support their model for what they call hubs. And these, these hubs, they have over 30 across five continents around the world and two in the U.S. and growing. Uh, but each hub has private investigators that work independently and with our state to help kind of fill in the blanks, if you will, or fill in the gaps uh, to help, one, rescue people out of trafficking, but number two, to help kind of work those cases backwards, to present evidence to uh, law enforcement officers to make the case to drive arrest and prosecution. Mm-hmm. So we really wanted to go right at the problem. And that was what we saw that we just wanted to solve the problem the same way. That's Hope for Justice. So now over the last year, two years, we've been merging our, our efforts with theirs. That's kind of where we are today. I'm sure there's plenty of questions that you have to put all that out there. <laughs> well, I, mean, I think it's really interesting. And I, I do want to talk to Ken, too, about why he got involved and what, you know, why his purpose of, for you know, getting involved with this. But I do have one quick one before we go there. Yeah. Is you know, I think I think one thing she said that really resonated with me is that uh, I, I mean, most of us, a lot of people have seen the movie Taken, and you know, whatever all the Hollywood part about it, but that I don't think a lot of people understand that sex trafficking is one, but human trafficking. I think you brought that up a lot, and just want to talk more about that. But you know, um, it's actually modern day slavery is actually yeah. what they're doing, and how does that happen? Can you walk me through how that happens? I know you said, you know, someone's trying to better their lives and they get involved with something. But can you talk to me a little bit more about, you know, what we can do to recognize that? I mean, as a bank, you may or may not know, we have certain things that we do when we try to recognize what people are doing um, through, you know, the deposit, the banking system to recognize trafficking. Right. So those, that's part of it. But what what can people do? What can people see that might help alert um, others to perhaps this issue that they may see right in front of them and didn't know it was happening. Sure. Well, I mean, human trafficking is the use of force, fraud, or coercion 
to obtain a labor or sex act, sex act for the benefit of their exploiter. So that's a good workable definition. Right. Uh, And so that includes, you know, these kind of two forms that we talked about, but you asked, how does it happen? And so um, let's maybe use some common possibly misunderstandings. Uh, One is we think, okay, so if you are, um, I, I don't know if you're if you're a woman traveling alone and you're young and good looking, you might be snatched out of an airport or out of your hotel or walking along the street. That really isn't what happens. Um, almost, almost, I'm not going to give a percentage, but almost all the time, if you will, it's it, people are trafficked by someone they know. So, uh, at, for an example, and this is sex trafficking in particular. Um, so there was a young lady at the University of Iowa, and she uh, met a guy, super nice to her, showed her attention, and they went on a date. And then uh, the date turned south, and she uh, was taken out of the passenger side and then brought forcibly to the back. And then she was, and this might be hard for your listeners to hear, but she was, I'll use the word taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the person she went on a date with said, I know who you are. I know who your family is. And this will continue to go on until I say it stops. And so okay. uh, that's, that's, that's a good example from a person who it actually happened to. Uh, but multiple variations of this kind of bait and switch where if there's a person who's uh, potentially vulnerable. So if you're a runaway teen, for example, you're very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that's how the person uh, side of it happens. Uh, But over the pandemic, we saw a massive shift from the in-person style to online grooming. So it starts with some form of grooming, whether in-person or online. But online now, according to Polaris, uh, in the U.S., it's 80% of the recruitment for trafficking happens through social media or other uh, social apps. So one of our investigators recently uh, was was walking through this, and I was shocked to find out that uh, even in a Bible app, wow. a, person, a person was recruited and groomed and then trafficked. In a calculator app for you for you bank folk out there, uh-huh. if so, ultimately the rule the rule of thumb that I look at is if there's vulnerability, if there's trouble at home, if the person is a runaway. But wherever there are these socioeconomic vulnerabilities, that's where you're going to find someone who's susceptible. Uh, or if you have a lack of parental supervision over apps or content that you're bringing to the house through cell phones or tablets, uh, that's where the susceptibility happens. And, you know, oftentimes it'll look like someone is super friendly and they'll present yep. themselves as, as a peer. Uh, and then when it comes time to meet that person, they're anything but. And then... Uh, Oftentimes, again, I'm not an expert, but what I've heard from our experts is um, if it's, say, a teenager, they'll keep odd hours, uh, they're falling asleep in their classes, um, and uh, instead of it just being kind of, quote, sneaking out, um, it's actually being forced to sneak out and go perform these services or else due to threat or force or fraud or coercion. And so... Uh, so that's oftentimes what the sex trafficking looks like. I haven't spent as much time studying it, but what I what I do know is very similarly, it's 
someone who's vulnerable uh, in more in an economic sense. Okay. And they're looking for uh, a better life or a way to make a difference. And so if you look, so a re- really reputable site, if you want to get really into the numbers, and I, I, did, a, I did a shallow dive uh, the other day. Um, but again, going, to, going back to Polaris, they, they are a national kind of accumulation site of data based on their hotline and what people call and what people, you know, uh, write in. And then those things are observed or vetted and then accumulated. And so um, it's almost the, the opposite as far as who's trafficked and what type of trafficking. So sex trafficking, almost over 80 percent of persons sex trafficked in the United States are from the United States. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, but it's flip flopped for labor trafficking. So there's not a lot of citizens of the U.S. that are being labor trafficked. And so it is people who are working off a, quote, debt um, uh, in coming across the border. And they're sent here by some sort of other uh, nefarious organization, for example, like a cartel. Um, And so. Uh, again, I live in Iowa, so I can give you some Iowa anecdotal and totally anecdotal evidence, but this is common, I think, to other places. So there's a, uh, we have a lot of ag, right? And so ag needs uh, people to fill jobs. And so if the paperwork is there, not a lot of extra questions asked. Uh, however, uh, we're seeing a lot of Guatemalans in a small town, rural Iowa, maybe a 5,000 person town, but uh, now nearly 20% of their children there from Guatemala. So when you see that kind of, uh, maybe under that, uh, I'm just kind of doing some quick math in my head, right? So not to, exa- not, not to exaggerate, we'll bring it down to like 5%, right? But still the noticeable percentage of your students. And then they cycle in and out. Well, that's an indication that there could be, again, emphasis on could be, right, right. no presence, uh, could be some labor trafficking in that area, especially if you have a high ag, high labor base uh, in that area. So uh, it's things like that that I've learned. And I, by no means, will be able to give you a full, robust, everything you need to know. No. Uh, just things that I've picked up on along the way. Um, one time, uh, there's a gentleman from our attorney general's office. He called, called it looking out for the absence of normal. And so if you see, his example was, if you see two guys um, and they have multiple ages of children in their vehicle and there's no like booster seats or like standard kids things that you would expect to find on a road trip. Like by contrast, my brother-in-law and I will oftentimes go meet. Uh, we each married twins, by the way. So oh, wow. Or the other twin. So, he and I have become really close, uh, really close, and we love. We really do. We're, we're thankful that we're just like good friends too. Like I would just hang out with my brother-in-law Jared. So if you're listening to this later, but the point is, by contrast, Jared and I, when we take our kids somewhere, there's DVDs and there's kids snacks and they have books and there's car seats, and you can tell these two do, and the kids kind of look like us, right? You can tell the, this all works, right? This all makes sense. Uh, but if you're, say, at a gas station or something like that, and there's a kid who's being really controlled, and they're not allowed to speak for themselves, and they're being kept really close, and then the other scenario, and then, then in the car, there's just a lack of those normal things. Those aren't you know, definitive of trafficking, but 
they certainly are the absence of normal. And we would suggest people, okay, and see stuff like that, call it in. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a really good point. I think that that's a really good kind of succinct way of putting it, the absence of normal. Is that normal? Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean there is or isn't, but is it? So I, I do want to get around to Ken, who uh, we work with at Veritex, and we're so proud of. He does such a great job with this. And really, he really did eat a lot of carrots before he um, rode his bike. So, so Ken, I do want to ask you, you know, this is something outside. I, I mean, I know you have a family that a young family, well, it takes up a lot of your time as well. But why did you get involved with Break the Cycle? What drove you to say, look, I want to be a part of this? Yeah, I mean, I mean, my starting point was really simple and similar, just kind of almost to Rocky. You know, I had kind of made a healthy time in my life and I was kind of trying to be a little bit better and, you know, eat better and exercise more. And I took to, to, to writing because I had done it previously. But mm-hmm. within the DFW community, specifically McKinney, you know, I met this gentleman, Doug Young, and, you know, he called me once and he said, hey, look, um, I know you like writing. I have something for you. And I think you should do this. And I hesitated, you know, Um, but he what he did was he did a good job. He shared it to both me and my buddy and he knew we would just egg each other on. (laughs) Competitiveness, right? Exactly. Right. So my friend, you know, Victor, he ended up signing up and he told me, look, if you don't sign up, you know that what that means. Right. So, I mean, I had to sign up. I didn't have a choice. But once I got to know Rocky, once I got to know the story, and kind of read about it, it started hitting home for me. Uh-huh. Any of those individuals could be my children, right? right? And then as I reflect, even at home, for those who don't know, I- I'm from Kenya, born and raised, and I moved over here when I was 19 years old. Well, there is a huge now industry for sexual tourism out there, right? Okay. Uh-huh. And if not that, just in our local homes where you have kids that don't go to school because their parents, you know, are addicted to something and they just need labor, you know, on the ground, right? So that is just a form in in its rawest, simplest form to where it is forced uh, for the, you know, benefit of another person and not that individual, right? So there's so many different aspects of it that once I kind of started hearing the stories, especially locally, that kind of also drew me because it could literally just happen in McKinney, in Frisco, anywhere, right? right. And the right. child could really be going home. The other thing is my, my wife, she um, she's studying and she's studying psych. And she has to engage with, you know, people from different, you know, age groups. But every single time, you know, she comes in at home and she maybe will give me the little antidote was without kind of sharing personal patient information. It drains her how how much some people are emotionally being, you know, trying to recover from something right. similar to that. Right. That wasn't necessarily kind of chalked up as human trafficking, but it's something that ultimately that, you know, they impacted them or people currently going through it. Right. right. So all that together made me feel that if I needed a purpose in life, this was it. And this was easy because I love writing and sharing awareness. I love talking. I love kind of meeting people. And I, I felt like this was the right path for me. 
That's so awesome. Well, you know how proud we are of you, of course. Uh, you know, we, we are lucky enough to get to work with you every day and, and seeing that purpose behind what you do. And I think Break the Cycle, one of the things that I love what Rocky said and you and you said is that it really started out as more of a competitive, yeah. you know, kind of, hey, I can beat you do this or let's see if we can get it done. Yeah. But then you found a purpose behind that, that, you know, listen, it's bigger than just the writing. The writing's what I get to do. Yeah, yeah. The purpose is so much different. So, Rocky and Ken, let me ask you both, um, give you both a, real, a chance to answer this, is that, you know, when will you know how successful your your organization is, that you're making a difference in others? How, how will you be able to know that or when you look back and go, okay, I did this and I made a difference? What will be the, the one or two things that you'll see that makes you know that it was successful. Can I let you go first? Um, this is more of a unicorn version. I, you know, I would I would say, but right now in our society, I feel like um, we tend to see something and just kind of walk away, maybe take a video of it and then post it, right? Right, right. When it gets to a point where people are taking ownership of their community and saying, "I see something." I want to stop it. I'm going to call someone and someone needs to take action, uh-huh. whether there was something that needed to be taken action or not. But that kind of leads to less people kind of being abducted or, 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 or human trafficked or whatever. That's where I would feel that it, I, we've kind of reached our goal and not just our organization, but all other organizations, I guess, just kind of put together the effort, kind of do it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we, I don't think we'll ever be able to stop it. But the best way is if the next person sees something and they can do something about it, right? And they're raising that that awareness, that means that I have done my job and I've raised enough awareness that people are cautious and all of their antennas are going off whenever they see that, th- those type of issues or red flags, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a, a wonderful way to put it. It's just, what is that? I think there was an old saying about, you know, uh, don't be afraid to to say something if you yeah. see something that you that doesn't feel right. Um, yeah, and, you know, do that. So I think that's a great way to look at. it. How about you, Rocky? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a that's a big question. So on the micro, it's when every time we rescue someone out of trafficking, uh, that's how we make know we're making a difference. Uh, so I was just on with our so the in, initial hub in the United States. You know, just kind of reference it here. Um, is located in Nashville. Uh, we've only been operational in Iowa uh, over the last six months. So Hope for Justice at large, that's the kind of umbrella organization that we are under, so to speak, um, that relatively new to the U.S. But nonetheless, um, they, in I think over one month, received some 75 different, no, no, well over 100 different leads, over 75 new cases. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, out of that, that drives rescues. And, uh, you know, forgive me, I don't have the number of rescues, but I did just, again, uh, hear, hear the story of how literally within days from receiving a tip, our guys are so good, they're able to find these missing persons and then bring them home. Right. Oh, wow. So uh, th- that's how we know. And we're doing it, again, not here, but around the world. So, some key stats over the years within 2020, for example, we had had, had over 102, nearly 103,000 children we reached through our work. 
I see the through preventative programs, uh, rescue and restoration. But when you see that, you know you're moving the needle. Or when there's uh, legal reformation that gets right at the heart of the matter. You know, we're working on a U.S. Uh, national uh, bill uh, uh, called the Frederick Douglass uh, Act, I believe. Uh, and then it's being re-upped or refreshed, and it has multiple uh, parts to it that addresses uh, slavery at large, modern slavery or human trafficking. Uh, but uh, one element to that is to do something like we did here in Iowa, which was to make it mandatory for uh, hotels to have gone through a certain amount of training on human trafficking or else they won't receive uh, government funds from the state. So that means every school teacher, every field trip, everyone who comes in for a wrestling tournament, we do wrestling a lot up here in Iowa, <laughs> basketball <laughs> tournaments. If, if, if the hotel has not received training, the school administrator can't write a check to that hotel. So it created massive awareness, a massive change and massive amounts of training. So it's those things where you start seeing the needle being moved. But ultimately, uh, I think we'll, we will have won when we as a nation and then even directly down to communities make it inhospitable, make it utterly inhospitable for traffickers to do what they do. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. So we, we should, uh, as a society and businesses, hold accountable those who go to highly um, uh, maybe susceptible areas for uh, sex tourism. Right. So uh, there's many companies in the, in the United States who send their employees abroad around the world. And, you know, that's one of the major drivers for sex trafficking internationally are people who have money and they're on business travel. Right. Which is sad. Right. So, we right. haven't seen, uh, in my opinion, an appropriate response in recognition of the 40.3 million people kept in bondage around the, around the world <laughs> uh, right by our businesses. So it's a $150 billion problem. It's the um, was it second fastest growing uh, crime around the world. Uh, it's, it's human trafficking, second only to the drug trade. Uh, those two go hand in hand. So the point is when we see a cultural shift to where there's deeper understanding, not just awareness, and we see public policies being driven, uh, and I believe it ha it'll have to be led by the private uh, sector, and then our government will come on board. And when we see those things, I'll say, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. And then ultimately, I think if I could go on a little bit more, <laughs> ultimately, sure. I think we fall victim to the uh, Ebenezer Scrooge mentality. You know, Christmas isn't that far removed for many, for many of us. So we're always anticipating it. But the famous character Ebenezer Scrooge was solicited by some folks like me to help pitch in to help children who are hungry. He responded with, well, isn't that, don't we have houses for that? Aren't there jails? Aren't there places for these people to receive help from a program? Right. You see, oftentimes we're just yeah. like that. And we yeah. think, well, somebody else's job. Well, I, I would say that just wasn't the way I was raised. Right. <laughs> yeah. it, it's not. I really do believe that in this country, especially, especially in the United States, we have the great ability to take ownership of our own lives and our own neighborhoods and to make a difference. And so uh, that's when people, when I see that kind of mentality take place, 
and then those results are driven and we don't have to have 102,000 children uh, that we're interacting with. And when we don't receive over 100 leads every month from just one office, uh, boy, when we see those, those numbers start ticking down, that's when I'll know that we're making a difference. And Rocky, makes me want to get on a bike. Probably won't because right. I'm. But that's well, awesome. hey, I didn't get food, Lavanda. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. So, like, that's, so that's something so, we've been trying to address as an organization. And I'll put this out there for you. There's lots of ways to make a difference or to kind of make your miles matter. And mm-hmm. so we know that many times, for example, corporations will have a health initiative, right? Well, what if you set it out? for you and about maybe three or four of their friends to do walking over a course of say a quarter of the year over three months. And I bet you, you could as a team accumulate 200 miles. Yeah. And you could segue that in a corporate way to drive awareness and then also funds and drive health within your company to help be a part of break the cycle 200. So there's lots of ways to quote, break the cycle in quote, you know, there's lots yeah. of ways, but it's, it really is kind of a matter of, okay, are we, we want to be a part of that. Yeah. All right, yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. And so, it could be that. And it could also be through donations as well too. Yeah. It could be a yeah. simple donation. It could be, yeah, there's lots of ways. And so uh, that's my kind of ending point is, look, don't let the thing I'm doing, uh, eat, either impress you or even say, oh, we can't do it. But I want that to inspire you. So don't be impressed. Be inspired to find your niche or your way to be involved. Oh, and one last plug. We could always use volunteers. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually what I was going to ask. How can we get more involved with uh, Break the Cycle? How can people become more involved? Yeah, so So, I would say, oh, Kenny, yeah, you go for it, man. No, no, I want to hear from you, buddy. Let's hear it. Well, I mean, I I, I think – because locally, since we are in the DFW area, right, we have the Break the Cycle ride here coming up on May 7th, right? Okay. And uh, May 7th is kind of when we'll, we'll be riding and we have multiple opportunities for people to get involved, either through volunteering at some of our rest stops, mm-hmm. um, uh, spreading the word really on just social media and LinkedIn on the day off or before the day off, really just kind of getting that out there because that not just only spreads the words about what we're doing, but also gives more people outside the opportunity to donate, right, to, to right. the cause. So on May 7th, I believe, we'll be riding, and we have multiple rest stops every 25 miles, right, so people can volunteer there and, and, and can I take pictures, you know, share on social media. That's one of the most easiest and immediate ways that people can, can volunteer. Awesome. Uh, you've done an amazing job. I love everything you just said. Uh, and there's, there's, but wait, there's more. So <laughs> uh, there's the opportunity, uh, even two nights before the event, uh, to kind of have like a, a rally together where people can come and see the cyclists and get to meet them and just be part and hear about in more in depth uh, what's happening with, with human trafficking and what we're doing to fight it. Uh, so uh, we can certainly make, make room for people to do that. Um, or, or if you want to help be a part of providing, say, like a potluck for that event, boom, that's another way to help. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, we have a post-event party. And, you know, there's just many hands needed to make things happen. So, uh, you know, many hands make light work. So there's lots of opportunities for this event for people to, you know, have their way of uh, coming alongside and, and uh, supporting and, like Ken said, driving awareness, but also 
uh, drive me funds. Because I'll tell you this, the funding translates into uh, investigators' salaries, uh, right? Exactly. Right. And so the people that we help, you know what they don't care about, <clears throat> Ken? They don't care that you rode 200 miles. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. They don't care that I've ridden 200 miles and they don't care that we had a successful event or that we had a good time. They care that the person that they met said, hey, I'm here to help you. Let me get you back home. Right. That's what they care about. So that's what the funding ultimately goes to. And so I hate I actually don't like asking for money. I usually don't. Um, but that's what it goes to. And so I, I would just say, you know, find your way to help be a part of supporting what we're doing. I love that, actually, Rocky and Ken. I think, you know, I think the way you put it is, you know, I don't care what the event is. It never is about the, you know, what the event is. It's always about how you help someone. If yeah. that helps someone get home or yeah. get out of that, that area, that's really what it's all about. And because you're doing this and bringing that awareness about the donations that um, hopefully our listeners will give and our, mm-hmm. our employees that are listening to this as well will give is not, not just their time, but their, their money. Because that's, I think that's a great way to put it. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with saying it helps provide a way home. I love that. Yeah. So thank you for, for saying that for both of you. Listen, I'm, a, I'm really impressed. I mean, I really am. I think it's a great um, organization and I, I'm glad I got to learn more about it. And I'm hopeful this podcast, when it comes out, that you'll deliver it to your friends so more people can see about people with a purpose to help others. And that's really what the both of you and the people who help with Break the Cycle do. So thank you so much for doing that. I look forward to the success and I'll be watching to see that and, and getting more involved. You've really inspired me to get involved in that. So thank you both very much for the time today. If you would like to be a part of the Break the Cycle ride in Dallas, visit www.classy.org to sign up. This ride is not easy, but we ride together and finish together. You can also donate or volunteer visit www.classy.org.